Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Thank you for joining us on, uh, for uh, this episode. Hope you've had a good uh, spring so far. I think the, uh, the, the sun is out a little more around the country now which is always something that we enjoy. It's been a busy time at the REC. Most notably, we're getting ready for the REC annual conference, which is on the 30th of June this year. Now, that's still all online, which means you can join us from wherever you are, and you can join us for a bit of the day or all of the day, or you can catch up afterwards because it's available for a few weeks afterwards on the conference platform. Fantastic day full of insight from clients, updates on key issues from business issues like accessing more candidates in this candidate scarce environment through to what can we do on equality, diversity and inclusion through to the the recruitment workforce and how we grow a workforce for the future and how you can hold on to your staff and and help them perform in this very different market. I think a lot of recruitment uh, business owners are talking to me right now about their consultants experiencing a different market to one they've ever seen before and how to survive and thrive. And that is really important. Also, some great provocation from our keynote speakers, Tim Cook, the chief executive of Engage. We're welcoming Kate Richardson Walsh, who captained the UK hockey team to Olympic gold and how she rebuilt that team from the ashes of failure in 2004. Uh, we'll be deep diving on health staffing with the former Secretary of State for Health, Matthew Hancock. So a really rich day. Do check it out on the REC website and you can book on there. It's free to REC members, of course, and you can bring as many of your staff as you like to jump in because that's the benefit of a digital event. The other big REC news at the moment is we've got our nominations open for the REC board elections for 2022. You've got a few days still to get an application in for either the corporate member spot or the individual member spot that we have available this year. And of course, even if you're not standing, when the email comes out with your vote, please do use your vote. Other things to mention, well, we're recording this in Mental Health Awareness Week, and that's the big theme that we're turning to today. But the uh, one of the other things that's happening this week is the REC is publishing its April billings data for the industry, our report on jobs. That came out, uh, comes out on the 12th of May in the morning. Do check that out for all the latest on how the industry is performing. Certainly, I'm getting a strong sense that things are going well, per maybe just in front of temp talking to members around the country right now but also that threat of inflation on the horizon and wondering how clients are thinking that through really uncertain time in terms of what happens over the summer into the autumn and we're really interested to hear from you to your account manager or to me or to any of our team about how things are for you and what the REC can be doing for you going forward. Now, let me turn back to the fact that we're recording this in Mental Health Awareness Week. I am really proud that the REC as an organisation has put mental health front and centre in our thinking. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity to turn the podcast focus on to mental health in recruitment and dig a bit deeper. We've done some episodes on this in the past, but I think it's something that we we need to keep coming back to. Uh, some of you may already have accessed the Mental Health Hub on the REC website. But I think the more we can do to get better at managing that in our businesses and around our businesses, good for the good for business performance and, of course, good for our people. 
you need a good guest to do such an important topic and I'm delighted that uh, Suhail Misra is uh, able to join us today. Many of you will know uh, Suhail as a lawyer, uh, former city editor of Recruitment International, been around the industry for, for a long time, hugely experienced, currently chairing the advisory board at Retinue and also doing some work with Impelum. Suhail, it's a great to finally manage to get you onto the REC podcast. It's a privilege, Neil, to be here. And obviously, you know that I've worked with you and your team uh, supporting me in uh, my work in writing the uh, language on UK Healthcare Workforce Report last year, where mental health played a very important part. And uh, your research and insights and uh, broader insights into the market were hugely helpful. So it's, I'm delighted to be able to contribute to such an important topic. And I have to say that really enjoyed that work that we did together on what is a hugely important issue. And of course, one of the things I didn't mention in the intro at the moment is the REC campaigns team doing a huge amount of work on the NHS rate card at the moment, because once again, Department of Health haven't really got their head around the practicalities of NHS staffing. We need to help them get it right to save taxpayers money, but also to support the NHS workforce. And I suppose that's that's probably where I want to start, which is increasingly we're seeing mental health as more being seen more as a business issue by employers, by corporates, by leaders, as well as HR teams. Why do you think that is, Sahel? And and what are the the reasons why you know an agency owner operator might want to put this onto their uh, to do list? Uh, it's a great question. I, I think it's driven by probably three factors. In addition to the macro trends of, as you pointed out, it's a hugely uncertain market with flexibility, inclusion, shortages, uh, supply chains, inflation. Let's leave those things aside. But what are are the three factors that are driving this to the top of the agenda? One is uh, simply scale. The Lancet produced a a meta-study of 204 nations' uh, experience of uh, COVID's effect. 53 million people globally uh, increased in suffering depression. That's 28% above pre-pandemic levels. 76 million people globally uh, more now with anxiety the Office of Health Inequalities and Disparities last year found that nearly 60% of 18 to 34-year-olds here in the UK had seen their mental health deteriorate. So it's a massive scale problem. That's the first thing. You can't avoid it. The second issue, I think, is the economic impact, which is you're, you're alluding to. Uh, the Mental Health Foundation, a couple of weeks ago, at the end of April, produced some research in conjunction with the London School of Economics, uh, which highlighted that mental health challenges cost the economy uh, the best part of 120 billion pounds. We need to meditate on that number, 120 billion. So it's a huge economic imperative. And the third factor is simply the labour market itself. There are clear indications, and you will know this, of course, I've read all the REC reports and jobs, the, the great resignation, attrition, and McKinsey's latest insights here are, are very uh, salient, where they say that they believe that the mental health impact of employees, the mental health state of employees, is worse now than it was 12 months ago. So I think all those three factors are pushing this quite rightly as not just a moral imperative, but a business imperative. I think one of the things, I I think we've discussed this in the past, Sahil, I'm a director of a multi-academy trust as a non-exec role alongside uh, my kind of exec role at at the REC. And it's certainly the case that when we talk about the development of young people, unless they're in the right place emotionally and mentally, they're not going to do the English and maths. And in many ways, children are just small versions of us. And the same is true of employees. So there's a, a piece around how do people give their best 
which I think you've touched on there. There's also, as you've referenced it, we think there's 600,000 fewer people working in the UK than there were before the pandemic. Most of those people are currently economically inactive for a whole range of reasons. It, you know, accessing candidates is the big issue in the industry just now. And you know, good mental health support helps you attract candidates who maybe have had challenges in the past but it also helps you retain people and retention is more important than ever term in terms of a labor market where people are moving between jobs as fast as i've ever seen i think there are also some recruitment specific challenges there i think as an industry we've come a long way from the industry that i joined in the 1990s in terms of you know, high pressure selling environments, but it is a performance culture. It's a sales culture that we exist in, in the industry. Are there specific things that you've seen in recruitment that makes getting that MH support in place all the more important? Are there, mental health is generally important for business. Are there re particular reasons why recruitment firms should want to take it seriously? Again, it's a great question. I think it's a, there's an internal and external facing reason for that. Internally, and you'll know this, Neil, you speak to so many uh, leaders. I spend my time with so many recruitment uh, entrepreneurs, chief executives, HR directors. I mean, recruiters themselves are currently finding tremendous challenges recruiting people for their internal teams, whether it's a recruitment consultant, a, a team leader, marketing, finance. I mean, this, the, these shortages to which you alluded to, the, the crunch uh, in the number of people available in the labour market generally, it, it's, a, it's an imperative that you, you have to support your team internally. And the statistics are very clear. Uh, Talent International produced uh, numbers from Nuffield uh, Trust, which this was uh, end of last year, 54% of people uh, close to burnout. Uh, there's a huge issue here. So internally, recruiters are now finding it really challenging to actually recruit internally for their own teams. And therefore, they have to look at things that they can do that are different. It isn't about just increasing wages or incentives. It's about what's important in the marketplace. And that is the feedback is people want to feel a sense of mission, personalized care, and also their well-being supported by their employers. That's the evidence coming back from people like Nuffield Trust. The external reason that's driving recruitment businesses to look at this very seriously is that the and we're in an amazing industry. It's a hugely meritocracy. And the beauty of it is that we are in a place now where employers and clients are looking at recruitment businesses, not just as part of a supply chain but part of a broader solution that can help them attract staff and retain staff. So uh, to give you some specifics around that, there's a number of uh, businesses that I've worked with, uh, Meridian Business Support, have been doing some great work uh, in terms of uh, webinars and support for their uh, internal staff at all levels, including one-to-one. -one. Uh, and that's been replicated across healthcare that we talked about with Newcross, who you'll know well, and globally, uh, Spencer Ogden. Uh, that all, these are good examples of businesses that have been out there in the marketplace advocating and highlighting the work that they've done for both those reasons, internal recruitment and retention, and to showcase their credentials and true commitment to clients. That's so important in a professional services environment, which is that you walk the walk in your own firm and achieve those benefits. And that is a sales point for clients, as well as, of course, being the right thing to do, aiding with retention. So let's get, let's dive into the the sort of pragmatism of this then 
across what you've seen in the industry, and I know you've been doing some mental health support for a number of recruitment businesses, what are the things that really work for recruiters in terms of getting high quality mental health support in place that uh, that staff really value and which can be linked to good results? I think the key thing is it's an iterative process. So if we take a short history lesson with the COVID pandemic upon us, we saw some uh, immediate reaction. And I know that you, you, know, you and the REC advocated this very strongly. We saw some immediate reaction where people set up some, what I would call infrastructural support. So mental health, first aiders, apps that could be accessed, EAP programs, all, all of these things. And I think, I think the industry, broadly speaking, followed suit across industry. What's happening now more recently is to take that as part of the culture. Now, the leading recruitment businesses that I've seen and working have made this part of their cultural DNA. And they're drawing on practices, uh, Neil, that have been well-trailed. So what's working? The first point, uh, three or four practices, which I'll just share with you. The, the first one is just to eradicate the stigma. There was a report done uh, showing the incidence of pleasantism. I mean, a significant number of people feel they must show a broad, smiley face to come to work and um, they can't come to work if they can't do that. So the first thing that I've seen recruiters do is it, it's okay not to be okay to use that phrase, but truly to remove or certainly diminish the stigma associated with mental health challenges, particularly in a performance culture. Other specific practices are meditation, uh, spaces, a safe space to speak and to be open about how you feel. Uh, and, and a lot of people are drawing on, this is backed up by research, by the way, um, the book by uh, Jennifer Moss, published by the Harvard Business uh, Review Press uh, late last year called The Burnout Epidemic. She talks about the importance of having a safe place where people can go and express how they feel together with a po positive gossip. Now, uh, what she meant by that was that let's just have some, ensure that our communications highlight what the business has rather than what it doesn't have. And recruiters are brilliant in terms of focusing and harnessing that positive energy. And I've seen that working right across the board. And I think the, the other thing I'd like to highlight, because I've done this work with a number of the people that you've talked about, including uh, Montreal Associates globally, is that they've also brought in support for their team leaders or anyone who is in a leadership position, whether it's C-suite, whether it's a senior leadership team or anyone who leads anyone else, add to the support that those individuals get. They've had bespoke training to help people to really preempt what might go wrong in terms of mental health. So it's a suite of practices and it's important that all of those become truly embedded in a culture which advocates this, but is seen to walk its talk. That's fascinating. I think from my perspective, grasping hold of that idea that there are some relatively easy, quick wins in terms of infrastructural things that companies can do, and then leaning into the behavioural piece about how do we support our managers to have the right conversations? How do we send the right messages to our staff that encourage people to speak out at an early stage so we can get upstream of any problems? And, and the thing that really sings out to me from that, Sahil, is the, almost the acknowledgement from uh, the centre, from the owner-operator, from the manager director, from the chief exec, that they aren't the fount of all knowledge. They don't know, they won't always get everything right but actually better to do a few things that are well evidenced and try to get that support in place and learn over time than to be frightened off the subject. Do you think that's fair? I think that's utterly prescient. And I think 
what's important is that we don't need to solve everything overnight and we don't need um, the people in our teams to be psychiatrists or psychologists. We, 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 we should have access to expert uh, support, of course, and make mental health support given parity of esteem to physical health support. But the point that you make is a really important one, which is that all the evidence suggests and the literature replete with this, that is that it starts at the top. If leaders are prepared to share the stories, not the detail, but the stories of their own grappling with mental health, this actually allows uh, the culture to support that other people to do the same. So I think that's really important. And this, uh, the other point you mentioned earlier around the candidate piece, I'd, I'd like to make that point really clear. It shocked me during the pandemic, the extent to which in a dynamic labor market that we have, that we should be proud of, there was so little systemic support for the well-being of the contingent workforce, contractors, freelancers. That's now being addressed because they have suffered during the pandemic. And, I, and there's been some great work from uh, people within the recruitment sector that have gone out there and supported their candidates. Uh, Meridian is a great example in retail. They've done that. Montreal Associates have, produced, have set up webinars supporting the workforce amongst freelancers and contractors uh, globally. And in, in healthcare, we, we started this discussion, and you will know, of course, Neil, in the excellent advocacy that uh, the RSC does with uh, uh, the health secretary, etc. Uh, healthcare workers, social care workers have been suffering huge on the front line. And I'm seeing, it's, it's wonderful to see uh, businesses that are really supporting uh, that cohort of groups, uh, Network Re Recruitment Wales, uh, Alex Peters, who I know you'll know, is setting up a whole series of support uh, webinars for the contingent workforce. So I think that's something where recruiters can truly lead uh, from the front, the whole of industry, to say, actually, there's a contingent workforce here, which is vital to the whole fl flourishing of our economy. And their well-being is also important to us as an industry. I think that's super important. And I think it comes of the kind of resetting of our expectations that the pandemic brought forward. You're right. I, I do know Alex. She, uh, she chairs the REC in Wales. I think that focus on us as stewards of a workforce has really shone through in how much work agencies put into the furlough scheme, which I'm powerfully aware that certainly our team spent many long hours over weekends trying to interpret rules because agencies were out there on a Saturday morning trying to work out what they should be doing. And in the, as always, it's important for the REC to walk side by side with those members. But if we've talked a little bit about support for the workforce and what companies might do, I suppose the other question that's on my mind, even just as an employee myself, but you know, for consultants who might be listening to this, you know, our REC professional members, what sort of behaviours as an individual can we think about that help us to support our mental health in the workplace? I think that's a really important question that everyone should ask. There's a whole plethora of uh, pathways that we can adopt, but I'm a big advocate, as you know, Neil, in the work that I've done with NHS frontline staff, teachers, all the different industries and the businesses I've mentioned. Um, I'm chairman of the advisory board at Retinue, and they take this very seriously in uh, supporting their people to uh, thrive as well as survive. So I'm a big fan. I'm a former lawyer, so I'm very capable of complicating things, but I like to keep this one simple. Um, there's some simple steps. If you can take away all the research that's been out there, it, the key thing is to do things that we can do every day, which are manageable, 
and that can actually be accessed while we're working. It's great to take off for a retreat somewhere in Goa or wherever you want to go. You know what? I'd be on the plane with you. Fabulous. Unlikely that we can all do that. So what specifically what I'm seeing recruiters actually doing uh, to help their mental well-being, to clear their mind, to shut that voice of criticality that all of us sometimes have, to get more of the emotions that we want to help us flourish, less of the emotions that perhaps constrict us. Two or three simple steps. One is um, to spend a few minutes at the beginning of the day and throughout the day uh, doing contemplation stroke meditation. They're, they're synonyms. It doesn't matter what label we attach to it. That, that's just a breathing exercise, two or three minutes a day, perhaps two or three times a week. The literature goes back in the West until the 1970s. Dr. Herbert Benson, the Harvard cardiologist, in his book, The Relaxation Response, brought this practice here. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's something that can, anyone can do for a few minutes and it makes a tremendous difference. One of the other things to do is to also give gratitude. All the literature from positive psychology supports the idea that more that we find to give gratitude for, whether they're simple things or deeper, profound things, our psychoneurolinguistics, that helps the way we feel, the way we language things. So the practice of gratitude, practice of contemplation or meditation. And, and thirdly, finding space in the day, and it can be for a few minutes, where we literally can drop our veils and what i mean by that accessing things that really allow us to viscerally be who we are so that could be excerpts of a movie it could be poetry it could be literature it doesn't matter it could be a walk in nature something that allows us to be truly authentic those simple practices combined to 10 or 15 minutes a day i have seen on the ground through my own experience people i work with and people in recruitment in high performance fast-paced environment, those practices have made a huge difference, even including chief, chief executives in the NHS who have come back to me and said, I've taken up meditation and it's made a huge difference. And those people have been through a huge amount of stress, as we know, and still are uh, in battling the pandemic. You know, a lot of that comes back to, you might remember the book Thinking Fast and Slow that was very popular about five, ten years ago by Daniel Kahneman. And he identified, I mean, it's been challenged since then, but this idea of type A thinking and type B thinking and type, you know, one type of thinking is something that you do when you're under pressure and you need to react urgently. And, you know, sometimes that's great. You're driving along and someone unexpectedly steps out in front of your car. You want, you don't want to be thinking about whether to press the brake. You just want to press the brake. But that doesn't apply all of the time. And I think in a work context, that piece around contemplative even when you're under pressure or you feel under pressure, that sense of taking a step back and, you know, it's that email that kind of puts you slightly off beam. Do you need to write the reply right now? Or can you step back for 20 minutes and think about what that reply is, what that reply should be, breathe a little bit, focus on the outcome that you want. And just in every day and in every way, investing in the out, in, the outcomes that will support your mental health. And that's not about not delivering. It's about getting the important stuff ahead of the urgent stuff, not the other way around. I completely agree with that. And the Kahneman-Tversky book, I think, still holds. I, I, hope, I know it's been challenged, but it's a huge amount of positivity. And I think the broader thing, as you said, the piece is how can we incorporate these practices that allow us that time to some flourishing, that time for some authenticity, that time to shut off the noise, even though we have chosen to work in a hugely meritocracy, but high pressured environment. And I think these simple practices, and I don't use 
the word easy. I use the word simple quite deliberately because it's not a synonym for easy. This isn't easy to do, but I'm sharing practices which I have seen over the last few years work and deliver results for recruitment consultants, chief executives, team leaders within our sector who've adopted this. It's made a tremendous difference. So this is a experiential evidence I'm sharing. And, and one final point uh, to bear in mind is that even, I mean, many of us have dealt with some very challenging times, but bereavement, despair, these things are part of the fabric of what's happening uh, over the pandemic. But the evidence is now also coming out from psychology of mind, body, and spirit. Dr. Lisa Miller, Columbia, uh, Rupert Sheldrake over here, fellow at Cambridge, that even within this, if we look deeper, the world's practices, if we draw on them and take a truly inclusive approach to inner wellness, we can draw on these practices of contemplation and gratitude. We can actually transmute that despair into a, a more awakened brain, to use Dr. Lisa Miller's phrase, and going to your point, find a way where we can flourish and access who we are, even while we're delivering the results. And, and the feedback I've got from all the businesses I mentioned is, this has made a tremendous difference on the ground and immediately. And I think just to close this off, I think it goes with the wind of the direction of travel in the industry. We're moving to be more and more a professional services industry, more and more of the value being delivered in the interpersonal conversations that we have. A lot of the delivery, we're focusing on efficiency and a good use of technological tools. But the crisis is in talent planning for clients right now in this labor market. And therefore, the high value conversations are what are going to drive the sales and the margins from here. And those high value conversations require people to be of rested mind and contemplative enough about how they're going to handle some of those particularly tough ones. So, you know, personally, from my observation, not just kind of from an REC point of view, but just as a chief executive, I absolutely see what you're saying, Sahil. That's been hugely helpful. And I think uh, people will take a lot from it. If people want to learn a little bit more about you and what you're doing around this, Sahel, how can they find out a bit, a bit more? How can they get in touch? The best way would be contact me on LinkedIn. I'm available there. And uh, obviously uh, via direct email through your good offices, uh, you know me very well. Uh, I always am help here to help support anyone who is part of the REC. Big, big fan of the industry uh, and the work that you do and advocate on behalf of all of us. And to your point, just to close that off, I really do believe we're seeing a, a, a sea change where in a tight and unique and transforming labor market, hirers and users are looking to recruiters, not just as a transactional supply chain, but truly as partners, as you say, Neil, who can help them talent planning and the wider full total talent solution that is required. So I, I, I'm, I'd be honored to, to speak to anyone and to share some of the case studies that I've alluded to working with recruiters in all sectors. Um, but I've been uh, privileged enough to share this time with you, and I'm grateful for the invite, to, as always, to share time with you, Neil. Well, it's a real pleasure to to talk to you, Sahil, about this. It's such an important issue. You know, that piece about how the industry is changing. Just this week, I was having a great chat with Greg Savage about he and the REC doing something focused on the general shape of the industry going forward and how we as businesses need to change to meet the challenge that you've just identified but mental health is both for our own staff for candidates is front and center in that so really appreciate your time 
Thank you as always, Sahel. And uh, thank you to everyone who's tuned in to listen to this episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. If you've enjoyed this, a couple of 2022 jewels from the back catalogue available on the website. How about episode eight with Thomas Prince of Talent Nexus? We're, we're all concerned about jobs board price rises, but Thomas runs us through some really great strategies for how to get more from your advertising spend. Or episode three, where we to- are talking about some of that technological advice in the industry and the use of AI and automation with Felicity Birch of the Centre for Data Ethics and Innovation, uh, who have been partnering with the REC on guides around use of technology. And just recently, we published some work together on the uh, use of asynchronous video interviewing in processes. Worth checking that out on the REC website. So a couple of episodes there for you to check out if you've enjoyed this chat on mental health with Sahil. Thank you all for joining us. And I look forward to having a chance to bring you another interesting guest and some chat soon on an episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon. And check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.